You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Hello again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to another episode of Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I have a a theme that has bubbled up many times in this show, and, and we are going to visit it again today. It's the human side of managing people. And if you want to be an effective leader, it's not just about the process that you have authority and responsibility for, but it's what are you going to do with and for the people that report to you and rely on you. My guest today is a lady named Vanessa Browers. Vanessa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Vanessa is a herself a, a successful uh, career person, uh, turned coach, speaker, and author, and she does have a lot of thoughts about the human side of human performance. And uh, Vanessa, first, I guess I'll just ask the, the the broader question: What experience dialed you into this area of specialty? My my journey really took me on this very full circle path or maybe full spiral path is probably the more accurate way to talk about it, where I actually started my career in the C-suite of a very large organization at 25. I sort of landed myself, you know, reporting to the COO. It was my first professional job and it was pretty cool. You know, I, I got to feel like the ego boost of being at the table with the big dogs, very young. And I was cocky and, you know, a little arrogant, but also really smart and had a lot of potential. But I I found very quickly that the corporate environment would, the way that I experienced it was I, pretty soon they're going to figure me out and I'm going to get fired, <laughs> but not like an imposter syndrome thing. Like I'm, I'm conning my way through this and, you know, it just wasn't for me. I was really, 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 really intrigued by processes and, why things didn't work in organizations. But I was called to a much more winding path, quite honestly. So I spent the next 10 years doing a combination of backpacking around the world, going into health coaching, which led me into the deeper inquiry of why do people, why do some people get it and why do some people not? And I, early in my career, I didn't understand that. What I found as I started to journey on the path. And I started to work with really high achieving entrepreneurs and professionals and leaders, but from a healing perspective. So I found that didn't really matter at what point in the journey you were professionally, kind of all came back to the deeper human aspects of our psyche and our spirit that were left unattended. And that these wounds essentially would manifest as blocks and limitations professionally. And so as I continued to do this deep healing work, it pulled me back into the corporate space because my clients became high performing leaders and professionals, you know, CEOs, whatever, like whoever was leading the organization. But my lens was always what hasn't been healed that's creating a blind spot for you, a limitation for you. And so now I work with work with organizations as what I call a culture shaman. And I'm back in corporate, but from this very different vantage point with a very different lens. And so um, that's the short version. 
Well, you know, a couple of thoughts that I had as you were describing all that, <clears throat> I think it is so incredibly easy to get on the treadmill of work, whether it's a small business, you know, you're an entrepreneur with a startup and, and you're just really focused on making it become something, or you've gotten on the corporate ladder and you've achieved a couple of promotions and it is so easy to get focused just on the next thing, the next project, the next promotion, the next opportunity. And it, it that is a timeless dynamic in the human psyche. You know, people go to work and, and there are many who do get in the mindset, well, if I'm going to work, I want to do the best work I can at the highest return and reward I can get. So I'm going to climb that mountain. I'm, I'm going to take that journey. And that inevitably involves this thing we call leadership. If you're going to get promoted, you're going to be made the manager of a team or the director of a, a group or department. And, and if you're an entrepreneur, if, if you're just starting out on your entrepreneur journey, folks, and you haven't figured out you're going to need some people to make this thing go, <laughs> guess what? You're in leadership. And yes. it, it is an, an inevitable journey. And it, it throws us straight into the whole dynamic of personal, or, or I should say managing the human part, both your own you know, to to avoid burnout and health issues and all those other things, but also keep in mind the the health and welfare of the people that report to you. I often say that the only three paths that I'm aware that are as intense, you know, human purification, purification of the spirit are leadership, entrepreneurship, and being a parent. And of yeah. equal measure, I think. <laughs> For sure, for sure, and and I I I vote yay for that third one. Uh, you know, being a parent is is the same journey, and there are I can think about a number of things. I, I'm at that stage of life. My kids are much older, and they have their own kids that they're now experiencing that reality of the challenge it means to be a parent and and guide and direct another human being <laughs> and develop yeah, them. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all leadership. It's all leadership. It really is. It really is. Well, let's talk a little bit about first, I guess, uh, and this is going to end up being kind of random in no particular order, but uh, what are some of the warning signs that people bring to you when they say, I think I'm at a place I need some help? You know, what, what can you do for me, Vanessa? What are those warning signs? <laughs> There's a few of them. One of them is that they're less and less fulfilled by their external achievements, but they can't stop craving them. There's like a compulsive drive for more. Another is there's a fear that if they stop, everything's going to fall apart. There is another where they, they know they can feel that there's something else, but they can't see it. They can't articulate it. Another is that at ultimately, despite everything they have, they feel kind of cheated. Hmm. And they also have started to really get that somewhere along the line, 
work stopped becoming enjoyable. Like there's a real, it's, a, it's almost like what I would call somehow they've entered into a joy desert where they're doing everything they thought they were supposed to be doing, but they're, they're not getting what they thought they would be getting. And it's this very kind of vague feeling that they, sometimes they can articulate it very clearly and just say, I'm not happy. And sometimes it's more of an elusive feeling of just like, wait a second, hold on, wait, I thought this would feel different than it does. Right. Well, and I can add a, a, another one to that list, and, and that is something I've certainly run into. And again, because of, you know, I've taken a few more trips around the sun, so I, I've seen it and I hear it in my own clients, and that is those that are, are really long in the game, they they start to hit that stage of life where they kind of say, was this all worth it? Was, was did yes. I do what I wanted to do? And, and have I, and, and it part it's related to something you said, you know, have I missed something? Was there something I should have done that I haven't done? And, you know, I, early, early in my coaching experience, I was invited to be part of a large coaching team that went into a very big global brand and we were going to work with the top of the house, uh, about 130 something leaders going through a culture change. And several of my clients that I was assigned were pretty, pretty near the end. You know, they, they could see the light. They, they had, you know, single digit years until their retirement was inevitable. And their first question was, why do I need a coach? I mean, I've, I've been here all this time. You know, what, what in the world could we possibly achieve by having a coach? And my question to them was, it's not about doing something particularly new and different. But my question to you is, are you happy with the legacy you're going to leave behind? Mm -hmm. you know, have you done what you think you should or could do to influence the people around you and build the legacy that you want. And my, my tagline or my joke line to them was, they're not going to put your name on one of the buildings in this beautiful headquarters campus you've got, but you can certainly touch people's hearts and minds. And if you shift your focus, and I've, I've told this story before, one of the leaders had grown up on a really hard path. He was in a channel or line of that business that was particularly rough around the edges. It just had a tradition of it and a legacy of it. And he had risen the ranks and was now ahead of it. And he was operating it the way it had always been operated. And uh, we had some really deep and long talks. And about three months in, I got a call from the HR director. And they said, what have you done with, I'm going to call him Jack. What have you done with Jack? And I go, what do you mean? And they said, his six direct reports just can't believe the new guy they're working for. <laughs> I said, well, okay, elaborate, please. And they said, well, he's helpful. He's teaching. He's guiding. He's directing. And we are learning just, you know, our, our, our learning gap just, you know, shrunk. And we have learned so much in the last three months. And I said, okay, that's pretty good. And, so uh, you, you know, know you're doing well as a coach when when somebody else calls you to be like, what did you do with this person? <laughs> so but it's so. Oh yeah, go ahead, please. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say it's 
we're so programmed, we're so conditioned, we're so, in a sense, wired as human beings to prioritize the external, what we do, how we operate, that I think especially as you reach the higher levels externally, you know, in, in your profession and in an organization, it becomes even more confusing. Like the leader said, I've been here all this time. I've done all this stuff. What, what could I possibly do? What could we possibly achieve? And to me, that's where it really gets fun because there is no end of the road. There is no end. There's always more, but to me, it becomes really juicy, really exciting brings you really to life when you start to take that external achievement and bring it inside. And then, you know, the magic and the beauty of that is when you do that, it ripples out in this other way. And that's surprising and unexpected. And to me, I think that's, you know, at the end of the day, my belief is that I like to work with the people who've done it all. And the reality is they're bored. If they were really honest they're bored, but it's hard to recognize boredom and super top performers because there's no way they could be bored with all they do and all they create and all they achieve. But inside they're bored because it's, it's easy for them. It's like, let's do the hard thing now. Let's create something new, unexpected. Then you, know, you come to life again. Well, I saw this. I, I, I heard that explained in a very real way. I had a guest on my show last year. She had done a deep dive study of 50 of the highest achievers on the planet. You know, we're talking astronauts, Nobel Prize winners and scientists and other people. And she interviewed all of these folks. And then, then when the book was getting ready to come out, they had this big reception and everybody was excited to come to the reception. And she said, you know, one of the most unexpected things happened. She said, when I get all these high achievers in the same room, the Nobel guys are over here going, where's the astronaut? And the astronauts are going, where's the Nobel guys? And, and they're, they're admiring and coveting what somebody else has accomplished in a different area, something totally foreign to them, something they've never done. And forget all their personal accomplishments. They're, they're envious of somebody else's. And she said it was a strange, but beautiful dynamic that unfolded that night. I can imagine. Yeah. Well, when, when you begin working with people, do you, do you have a particular process or, or journey you lead people through to, to come to the other side of where they might need to be? Yeah, so it sort of depends on where they come in. You know, some people come to me and they're they're really focused on something like the next level externally. But for the most part, it's the same with every person. We start to identify the places where it should look like they're satisfied, but again, they're really not. So the first place we often look is permission. You know, my experience is that people who are operating at this level, they kind of need permission to let themselves have the truth that it's not enough. And they feel bad. They feel guilt because, you know, they should be happier. They should be more grateful and they're not. And so it starts with letting them actually trust that sensation that there is something else, there's something they missed, there's something more. It has to start there. 
And then honestly, we usually, and I, sometimes I hesitate to use this word because not everybody's super excited about this, but we start to actually begin to develop the skill of intimacy and grace. Lots of times high performers and top performers have gotten to where they are by neglecting emotion, by neglecting relationships, by neglecting grace with themselves. They've actually gotten there as perfectionists in disguise. They're actually quite hard on themselves and don't have a beautiful relationship with their emotions. And there's this kind of resistance there because what could that possibly do to help me with my performance, help me. But to me, intimacy is the greatest tool for innovation because especially in top performers, when you've taken the road as far as it can go, the next stage has to be pretty risky and they want it to be risky. That's the thing. There's this dynamic between risk and control that they're fighting with. And when you know that you always have your own back, then you'll go anywhere that you'll risk anything because there is really no risk at that point. And so, and then, and then there's actually this deeper layer underneath that, which is trusting. It looks like trusting themselves at a level that they've not trusted themselves before. There's usually some sort of whisper, some sort of like direction that they've been ignoring because it seems insignificant or unrelated or irrelevant or reckless, you know, something like that, because it is quite risky. And then we start to peel back the layers. And as we do that, they start to relate to themselves differently. They start to trust themselves differently. They start to take these micro steps in their external world that start to bring new opportunities to life, new relationships to life. So that's, that's the general process. It's sort of, we go inside, outside, inside, outside. Well, as you were describing all that, I'm, I'm reminded of there There are a lot of leadership coaching and <clears throat> training models that break it down into the notion of if you're going to be a leader, you first have to learn how to lead yourself. You, you have to be able to, you know, work all those things in, make your own assessments, <clears throat> elevate your own awareness. All of those things, and if you're if you're not doing well at leading yourself, you're probably not going to do very well at leading others, much less yeah. lead an enterprise. So, you know, lead your, lead yourself, lead others, and then lead the enterprise. That's usually the the way the model works out. And it, it never ceases to amaze me. It doesn't matter what level of leader or organization you're working with. I was um, talking to my, I have a business partner and we we work with CEOs of organizations to help them kind of jump these gaps that they're trying to close. And she was um, leading a group of like the top nine executives through an exercise in increased collaboration because there was just not this they were great at leading their siloed aspects of the organization, but when they, and they all came together, they, they just couldn't really feel the synergy that they wanted to. Yeah. And we, we did this extensive 360 feedback um, analysis with everybody. And she called me and she, and she said, Vanessa, why? She said, I saw, I was just going over this before I meet with them tomorrow. And I noticed something that just feels like such a red flag. She said, none of these top leaders have any interest in their positive feedback. They only want to know the negative feedback to the point where they're like literally waving off the positive feedback. Why would that be? Why would that be? And so I sat with it for a minute and I said, they don't trust each other. 
They don't trust each other because if, if they are only interested in the negative feedback, you know, think about it. Like if the people that you love the most, you want both, you really, you value the positive as much as the negative. So we started talking about this one particular leader in the organization who just, just did not feel respected. He felt like he was getting all this stuff that everybody wanted him to get, but he wasn't getting what he valued himself the most for. He felt disrespected. And I said, Mari, I bet you a thousand dollars. If we sit down with this man, his father didn't respect him. He feels a sense of inadequacy that still at this level he's experiencing. And so for me, it's when we come, you can't, it's so, the higher you get in an organization, the easier it is to assume that the human is still not operating. And so that's where I feel my genius zone lies that I could be sitting with Elon Musk. In fact, I, I, I have a whole theory about Elon Musk and the aspects of his childhood that are still playing out. And I think this is where genius is such an incredibly interesting combination of someone's gifts and their deepest wounds as a human. And so the higher you get, the more refined you need to look. And so that's, you know, that's where she, you know, she then took that and took it to the team. But that's one example. Well, I like what you're saying there. It, you know, this is where coaching and psychotherapy runs perilously close together. And of course, in the tenets of most codes of ethics that coaching groups have, they, they say, you know, we're not therapists. We're not going to go there. You know, we're not worried about the past. We're going to deal with the future. But I know in my own practice, and no, I'm not a licensed therapist, but uh, you you can't help but have some of those discussions because they are right in the middle of what you're trying to accomplish today. You know, that pre-programming those 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 negative voices, the bad stories on the tapes that are playing in your head, you know, all of that stuff, the you know, the movies streaming in your mind, uh, you know, are not necessarily positive. And right. again, back to the leading yourself, you you have to put those in check. That's right. That's right. That's absolutely right. I, I have yet to meet a human. <laughs> who isn't limited by their past in that way. Yeah, I mean, no. that's not true. There's plenty of people who have really moved beyond it, but they've only moved beyond it because they've let themselves go there. Well, right. Let themselves go there and do, do the work to say, wait a minute, that's not true. That, that That's yeah. not a true story. That was, it might've been told to me as truth at the time, but no, that's not true. That's, that's not me at all. Yeah. And, that's right. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely allow themselves to get past it. It, it, it is quite a journey and again, much easier said than done. Well, what, um, are you doing any sort of group thing? I mean, you mentioned that leadership team at the one company, are, are there other, you know, group efforts you're doing with leaders at companies? So in, in the work with my partner, we do a lot of, it's, it's interesting because it's a combination of, you know, we do group trainings, depends on the company really, but I, my work is a combination of one-to-one, -one, I call it partnership because it's not exactly coaching. And then I do a lot of really interesting trainings with groups inside of companies. So one of them is called my, actually the one that's the most fun for me to talk about is called the shadow of the brilliant mind. 
And it's where I will work with an organization and we go to their top performers and see the places where innovation is being stifled because the brilliance of your team actually becomes a barrier and limitation at a certain point. And um, the reason why I'll just kind of like land this and we can go into it if you want to, is um, that at a certain point, we become so identified with being excellent and being a top performer, that brilliance, instead of using it to really go in and solve problems that genuinely don't know the answers to, we start to go into this, what I call fake problem solving, where you're solving really high level problems that you already know the answers to in order to avoid the feelings of inadequacy of going and solving the problems that you don't actually know the answers to. And so I call it the shadow of the brilliant mind because it looks in the light like you're solving really awesome complex problems. But actually, if you look in the shadows, what you're really trying to do is avoid feeling inadequate. Hmm. That's a very interesting twist on it. And I, I, I thought when you started that, I thought we were going to be talking about the proverbial, you know, smartest guy in the room syndrome, mm-hmm. and which casts a shadow for, that stifles creativity and brilliance. And I run into that a lot, but uh, I, I like your, your spin on that. You know, are, are there symptoms and, and evidence artifacts yeah, so, suggest that's going on? So one of the biggest symptoms is, and I come back to boredom a lot, like boredom is one of the, I think one of the most fun things to work with in top performers. And I'll give you an example. So I was speaking to a, one of a, like a senior level director of a really, really, really big global brand just the other day. And I was talking about the shadow of the brilliant mind. And she said, oh my gosh, I can think exactly of where I'm doing that right now. She said, I spend all this time relationship mapping my team. And she said, and it's really useful and it's really interesting. And I'm kind of doing it because I'm avoiding this thing, this other, this other really, really hard challenge to solve. And especially within a global organization, Problems are so dynamic. You're, if you're at that level of the organization, you're, there's hardly ever a problem you're solving that doesn't have 97 other people involved or departments involved, or that if you look at cracks open, an even bigger problem to solve. And so it's just human nature to to want to get it done versus like, okay, if that, if I crack open this and it cracks open that great, let me crack open that, then like, let me solve that problem. And so, um, it's, there's a flavor of avoidance just, but just a tiny hint. And so I think that the other symptom, so one of the symptoms is boredom. And one of the symptoms is it's, they're so micro, they're so micro. So for me, when I, when I start to work with a, a senior leader, we're not looking for big glaring red flags anymore. We're looking for the places that really otherwise could be ignored. Yeah. And so it's like, there's this really fine line walking between like the question that I ask them is, does this have to have your attention? It must be your attention. And do you want your attention on that? And so there's this kind of really interesting intersection of, being really, really, really refined in your resource of energy and attention 
where it meets your real desire to have your attention there because it's actually exciting for you that you start to find, I think, what is somebody's true genius. Yeah. That reminds me of a, a leader I know that is always challenging his leadership team to ask themselves the question, this 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 path we may be on right now, all the work we're doing right now, how close are we to getting bored with it? Or are we veering into some sort of high risk and chaos that, and what's your tolerance in between, you know, where, yeah. where, where are you comfortable? And what, what I've fed back to him, I said, yeah, the challenge is that question is a good one, but the answers are all relative. You know, your level of what makes you bored because you're so highly motivated, the highly intelligent, you know, IQ, and he's got a good EQ as well. But, you know, what makes him bored is just way off the chart for what somebody else might be rising up to going, you know, I, I'm on the brink of, of blowout here because yes. I can't keep up. You know, I can't keep up with these ideas. And that's such an interesting <laughs> dynamic. I sometimes find that, that um, I own a gym as well. I co-own a gym. And so sometimes I find that too. It's like I get just unbelievably excited by impossible challenges. Like genuinely, like this is not possible. And I'm like, okay, now we're in the fun space. And I've witnessed the way, cause you know, you're operating in the, in the fitness space. It's not particularly a space where you see people wanting to be like constantly challenged in that way. And I find it to be, I have to really walk this interesting line for myself that if that were my only project, I, I wouldn't be able to do it because I, the reality is that people who work for me probably aren't going to ever be able to keep up with my appetite for growth and impossible challenges. And so I, I think that, you know, that leader, I, I find myself wondering like, wow, what an interesting challenge that is also so that he can have that satiated experience of his IQ being challenged relentlessly, but not blowing out his team or having to like constantly drop down and bore himself. Right, right. Well, Vanessa, I think this has been awesome. And uh, I think we're about up on time for today. Thank you so much for sitting in and sharing with us. Tell folks the best way to get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about your work. So the best way to get in touch with me is through my website, vanessabrewerscoaching.com. If it's either for, you know, organizational work or one-to-one -one work, best thing to do is just email me directly. And <clears throat> excuse me, there's lots of other ways that you can. I have lots of free trainings and, you know, good stuff on my website that they can dive into and explore if they're just curious. Awesome. Well, as always, folks, we're going to have those links in the show notes. So hop down there and uh, cl click on them, take a look and see what uh, Vanessa has to offer there. So with that, we're going to uh, sign off, say goodbye, encourage you to go out there, make it a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.